So we have two weeks left of what we're calling the Devotions Message Series. Um, this week and then next week. Next week you guys have the privilege of uh, Pastor Jordan's going to be here, which is going to be a great time. He's going to share. He's our senior pastor over all of Northwood Church. I'm actually, we're doing a, a location swap. I'm going to be teaching in Gulfport next week. So if all you show up to Gulfport next week, that's going to be hilarious. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't do it. Let's empty this room. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, let's pack this room and just have a good time. But two weeks left of devotions. And uh, what we've been doing is we've, we've intentionally been walking through the one-year Bible as a church. And then in the one-year Bible, it's broken out into daily readings, an Old Testament, a New Testament, a proverb, a Psalms, and a Proverbs. And then throughout the week, uh, we are writing a message based on the previous week's Bible readings. So if you've been following along with us, uh, you will have read the various scriptures that we're going to teach out of today. Uh, but the goal of this is to spark an interest, but also a desire um, to explore the Word of God, like to enjoy the process of exploration. Like the Bible's not dull and boring and lifeless. Uh, we believe it's still completely applicable, but also deeply impactful to our lives. So we want to explore the Bible, but also we want to apply the Bible to our lives. So that's the goal of devotions, and we're trying to just help walk through this. We learn in 2 Timothy, and you'll see the scriptures uh, on, on the screen with me. It says this about scripture. It says, all of scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable. It's profitable for teaching. It's profitable for reproof. It's profitable for correction. Uh, we love correction. It's profitable for training and righteousness. But ultimately, it's that the man of God or the woman of God, that we would be complete, that we would be whole, and we'd be equipped for every good work that God's actually created for us to do. So this is the goal of reading the Bible together. Um, so in the one-year Bible, we spent a lot of the New Testament time in the book of Hebrews, which is where we will be um, today. Um, what I wanted to do in Hebrews is kind of give you some context, because we think it's important to understand maybe the surrounding elements to the, the culture, to understand a little bit about the time that's taking place where this letter is written. Um, now, it's the same context as we brought last week, because we taught out of Hebrews last week. But I think it's important still to refresh ourselves on that, because the book of Hebrews, uh, it, it's actually the, the author's, it's anonymous, um, but it's believed to be either Paul or Barnabas, and written about 67 A.D. So this is actually about 30 years after Jesus has um, been killed, uh, was buried, and resurrected, and ascends back to heaven. So it, it's, it's not, not far or far-fetched to believe that there'd be people that are reading this letter that heard Jesus, saw Jesus, like, like experienced Jesus. So that's fascinating in and of itself. But this is what the world looks like as far as time goes. But the goal or maybe the purpose of this letter is to present Jesus as perfect, as superior uh, in comparison to anything that Judaism had to offer. And the reason this was so big was because what had been taking place is there was intense persecution going to the people that were receiving this letter. Uh, there, were, there was intense persecution for people that decided to follow Jesus and his teachings. After he left, what was happening is all over the world uh, that, that had heard and received the message of Jesus and had the life of Jesus, they believed it. 
And they began to live, and revolution was taking place all across the world. And what was going on is that was frustrating some powers. That was frustrating the government. That was uh, frustrating um, leaders and significant people. So they're like, man, let's silence the message. So people that were saying, I've been with Jesus. Jesus has transformed my life, and I'm willing to give my life for him. A lot of them started to paying their life for the message. But there was a whole group of people that were saying, what in the world is happening? We weren't getting persecuted when we were doing the other stuff. And before Jesus came and changed our life, our life really wasn't that bad, was it? So you had this whole group of people that were considering, and some were actually returning to a previous lifestyle. And the author is admonishing them to not turn away from Jesus, which is the, the actual hope, the one hope of salvation. So you see a pleading from the author, but you also see a lot of instruction, a lot of reminding to the readers or the receivers of this letter. In those days, uh, they would receive a letter from, uh, again, Paul or Barnabas. It would just be delivered to the church or to groups of people. Um, in this spot, there would have been a lot of home churches right there. It wouldn't have really been quite like this. They had to, in a lot of ways, go into hiding. So this letter would circulate from church to church or maybe even house to house. And they would say, hey, guys, this is what Paul, Barnabas, or Anonymous said. As we're reading this letter, and really as we read the Bible, we're trying to read it from the proper perspective, because oftentimes when we read the Bible instantly, we try to say, what's in it for me? Uh, How does this apply to me? But we're trying to use discipline, and so we're using three questions to apply discipline to our own lives when we read the Bible. And the three questions are this. At first glance, when I read the scriptures, what am I learning about God? What am I observing about God? And God could be God the Father, Jesus the Son, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. Like, what am I observing? What do I learn about God? So before we ever address ourselves, what do I learn about God? And then the next one is, what do I just learn about people? Humanity. And then finally, we get to, because of this, what does God want me to do? When we read the Bible, order of operations is actually really important. We are not the key figure in the Bible. Uh, we, are, we are like a supporting actor. <laughs> like, like, we're those people that when the credits are flying by really fast, you have to pause to see that you're in the movie. <laughs> like that. So with that being said, the author or the, the one that penned the letter, Hebrews, says this. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, um, if you were here last week, that word priest would have meant a little bit more to you. Essentially what it's saying, though, since Jesus has done what he has done, he's reminding him, hey, because Jesus did what he did, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast Hold fast doesn't mean like grab quickly. It just means like hold tight, unswerving, like like hold on tight. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, Jesus, without wavering. 
hold on tight. And if he's saying without wavering, that means that things are going to come that could potentially waver your faith. It's just observation. For he who promised is faithful. Verse 24 says, And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Okay? So if we were doing a devotion right now, and maybe we are all together, one big group devotional right now, we would read that, we would have our Bibles open or, or we would have our phones open and we would say, what do you learn about God? Reading this and, and like at first glance, it's like, okay, we see the great priest thing, God's got a house, but let's learn and maybe dive in a little bit into what God says. If we paid attention, this is really nerdy what I'm about to say, but sometimes I just pay attention to grammar and like there are a whole lot of pronouns present in there. And... You, who laughed at me? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> it wasn't nerdy. <laughs> no? Okay, cool. It is. It's okay. Here's, here's some of them, though. The word we, us, uh, are, us, us, one another, together. Like, all of these words are present in this one group. You say, hey, well, no, you're, you're observing stuff about people right now. No, if we believe that all Scripture is breathed out by God, there is specific language that is including groups of people. It's not individuals. He is speaking to a group of people, a community of people. So I think one thing that we can definitively land on that we learn about God, even just through this scripture, is that God has designed us to be in community. Like, actually hardwired us for this. And this is where... All kinds of thoughts start to spin off. And like those of you that have been around this church for any amount of time say, oh, here comes the spiel. <laughs> like here, where is he going with this? Well, I know what's coming on, but God has designed us to be in community. At Northwood, community is one of our values. Like it's something that we hold really tightly to. But before we get into church community, can we just observe in our own lives that all of us are already parts of community? Like, like, okay, like, let's just be real with each other for a minute. And it's the groups. It's the people that you run with. It's, it's the organizations that you're part of. It's, so I'm part of, I'm part of a community called Chief's Kingdom. And I think, who screamed? Oh, dude, we got it. That's right. Okay. We got another, we got a few Chiefs fans in here. But like literally, like Barney, you're a Chiefs fan. Like, like here's, here's the deal. When we see each other, like, okay, how many of you own Jeeps in here? I don't. Okay, okay. Jeeps. Okay, Jeeps. When you drive by each other, what do you do? Be honest. That, okay, yes, yes. You look at each other and you do this. It's called the Jeep wave. I drive an Impala. I love Jeeps. I want a Jeep so bad. I do the Jeep wave at you, and you know what you do to me? Nothing. Why? Because I ain't part of your community. 
We can keep going. <laughs> what communities are you part of? Just think about it. Oh, uh, we got the coffee, coffee community. Family. Family? That's a great community. It's a great community. What other communities? How many got kids in sports? And you know, okay, lots of you. Baseball. Baseball moms? Baseball moms. I love it. I love it. Like, no, so you start to get to know the families, the people. You, like, there is some sort of community. Community. So from the very get-go, I want to disarm you when you say that this is something that the church is trying to create, and I want to say it's something God's already placed inside of you. Military is a community. Something that I think is incredible is that every so often, you know, it's that there's, there's people leaving and there's people going. And there's Facebook groups that are built for this community that says, hey, when, when I'm leaving a place, I'm going to let people know of some of the things that they should take part of in this community and oftentimes things that you shouldn't take part of. <laughs> I appreciate the fact that some of you are parts of this church because someone else was leaving, was going to another community and said, hey, I was part of a community for four years in South Mississippi. This, it was my church. And you said, I need a community. I'm moving here. Where can I connect? Community is something that God himself has put inside of all of us, but I would suggest that God has actually designed us more specifically to be in a faith community. I think oftentimes... Now, I'm not throwing out everything that we just said. Like, I want a Jeep still, okay? But I think oftentimes we settle for something second best than what God truly intended us to be fully satisfied in. So these other communities check the box, but God actually created us to be in this depthy faith community that's centered around God, that's centered around Christ. And then the argument is, I really don't need people. Some people say people stink. That's what they say. They say people are terrible. Like, I don't need people, I just need God. I'm not going to ask you if that's you in this room. But there is that thought. And I would combat that thought with this thought. In the very beginning, God created man. And it was just man and God. It was a good environment a good scenario, everything was just right. And God himself looked at man and said, he's missing something. It's not good that man would dwell alone. He needs community. So through a series of events, he creates another human. And from the first moment ever, community was established and things were really good at the very beginning God said it's not good that man would dwell alone at Northwood our community is centered on Christ that is the common element for us if you look around there's hardly anything else in common with us like we are a odd group of people like we're we're different ages we're different colors, 
or different socioeconomic backgrounds. Some of us have been here our whole life. Some of us, this is the first Sunday we've ever been here. Like, like there is the unifying factor in us and in this room, but in any faith community, is that Christ is the common element. In 1 Corinthians, it says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slave or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. I think we can definitively land on the truth that God created us to be in community. What do we learn about people? Well, we learn from the author of this letter, but also through the strong suggestive language in this is that people need encouragement to stay in community. It would suggest that we actually tend to drift away from it if we don't purposely lean into it and even encourage one another to stay in it. Why is that? If we were built for community, why do we tend to pull away from community? I believe a lot of it's got to do with the culture that we live in. We live in an individualistic society. It's all about me. It really is. Other cultures aren't actually like this. If you if uh, got some friends that study abroad right now, just people that have been to other communities, like, like families generations live together. Some of you are like, thank God I don't do that. You know, but like, like it's, <laughs> but like, no, it's like they grow up together. It's child, it's parent, it's grandparent, all underneath the same roof. It's the father apprenticing the son and the son growing old with the father to the point where the father can't work, but the son has grown up and he continues that, and he's got the next one coming up. It's this far from individualistic thing, but that's not how it is here. We like our privacy fences. We like our own. <laughs> Why? It's the world that we live in. It's, it's you make you big even if that means abandoning everything else. And then we've got another problem that I think we should address is that there are digital fake communities out there that are, they're a facade. It's not real. It's, it's not the depth of community that God actually created us for, but we've got a generation growing up knowing that as the only thing that community actually is. I'm on social media. I get it. But the word friends on Facebook isn't real. Like, I don't have, I don't even know how many friends I have on that. But, like, like I, don't, I don't really know that many. Sometimes I see something on my newsfeed and I'm like, who is that? That's your friend, Micah. You've been friends for eight years. You just had a friend anniversary. <laughs> and I know Facebook is dated. The people laughing at that are above the age of 30. But now I connected to those under 30. You see what I just did there? <laughs> it's all the same thing, though. It's a facade. It's a fake community. Why do some people struggle with 
depthy relationships. You looked at my notes. <laughs> what was that? Like you did it. <laughs> no, it's not up there. I think there's some practical reasons that people struggle with community, but then I think there's also some deeper reasons. I think some practical reasons that people struggle with community is, is literally just personality type. And uh, so you've got just the two spectrums, introvert and extrovert. Uh, extroverts are energized by people. Inter- introverts are, are drained by people. One's not right, one's not wrong. But if we're not careful, we're building a community and even a church and a world that's built for extroverts. I think some of the reasons we struggle with community is simply some people are uncomfortable with a lot of people. Like even coming to church for some is difficult because there's so many people. <laughs> and like, like during the meet and greet time, you really don't want that. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be funny either. Like you don't like that. Why? It's not because you're wrong. It's not because you're hating community, it's because that's literally the way that you're wired. Community in this context doesn't mean that you're constantly around people. It doesn't mean that you're broken if you're tired after you've been around people. Community for some can simply mean extending a text to people. Some of the greatest community that I've been part of in the last six months has come through text messages from introverts. Introverts are oftentimes deep thinkers. And what happens is they're in the moment thinking, see something and triggers a thought. And then oftentimes because they're more often quiet is that God speaks to them and then they just send a text. Be encouraged to embrace community even if you're introverted. But I think those are just one of the practical reasons. I do think another practical reason is just we're distracted with life. Y'all, there's a lot to do. I mean, there's just so much stuff. I looked at this weekend, and I was looking at one of our staff members. I'm like, yo, I just talked to him a minute ago. I was like, bro, we laughed before church started because we said, hey, halfway through. Halfway through the weekend. Not, we're not looking forward to it, but literally, he served all day yesterday. He's going to serve all day this morning. He's going to serve all night tonight at student night. That's just church. What's your life look like? You got sports. You got Christmas City. You got like you know, but it's, there's always something, guys. And it makes it tough to lean into community, but I also believe that there's deeper reasons. There's deeper reasons that we don't lean into community, and I think one of those is that we've been hurt. You were close, and you got hurt, and now you can't and you won't trust. That's a reality. I think another deeper reason is that sometimes we go into community, especially with church, and I I know I'm towing the line here, But especially with church, we go into church with unrealistic expectations. And, like, I hate even saying that because of the implications with some of that. But I believe 
sometimes we go into communities, especially church, and we imagine or hope or think what it's supposed to be. And when a group or a church doesn't meet those expectations, you just pull away. And you miss the richness of what it actually is, but you also miss the richness of what it's becoming. In relationships, I think the strongest relationships are ones that have gone through things. I, I would, like, tenure isn't a big thing. Like, I don't care. I do care. But, like, I think it's when you go through things together and you become things together, that's where relationships really tighten up. But most of the time, because we have what I'd consider unrealistic expectations of when we begin to become or, or transition into different areas or roles. One of the most difficult moments of this church for me, I've been the pastor here, we launched it September 7th of 2004, is when we started to grow. What do I mean by that? This is what I mean. We launched this church with 55 people. That was my launch team. And God brought people. And something happened to where I couldn't be connected to every single one of the people anymore. And what's crazy is it broke my heart. But also what, it, what happened is because that was the culture that our church grew up in, it was deeply connected to me, is that the expectation is that we would always just be tight-knit, 55 strong, that we would be a 400-person church with everyone hanging out at each other's house at my house. And guys, I don't have a big house. Like, but that was the culture of our church. So people would invite friends to church and say, man, this is the greatest thing ever, man. Like explaining what it is. And then you come in and it's not exactly like that. It's just an unrealistic expectation. What's another reason? Or what's another thing, this, this pastor from Germany um, that, that pastored a church around the era of Adolf Hitler, and it's really an incredible study, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he said this, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community, but the person who loves those around them will create community. If you love your idea of what community can be more than you love the people that it actually is with, you will be disappointed. Last thing we observe about people, and then I'm going to close the service. People need encouragement to stay in community because some people have shame that's just because of sin. You don't lean into community because of the shame that's on your life, because of the life or the sin that you're participating in. So instead of leaning into community where the Bible tells us that if we confess our sins one to another, we might be healed, is we never get close enough to it because we're too scared. Bonhoeffer in his book also said this, sin demands to have a man by himself. It withdraws him from the community. The more isolated a person is, the more destructive will be the power of sin over him. The enemy's plan in John 10 says that the enemy has a plan for your life and it's that he would steal, kill, and destroy you. 
the same context, the same scripture says, but I have a plan for you. God has a plan for your life and that you'd have life and that you'd have it abundantly, that you would have a fulfilled life. I do not believe that you can have a fulfilled life the way that God intended for you apart from faith community. So we find ourselves in the one-year Bible at this spot, and now we must ask ourselves the question, what does God want me to do? For some of you, your next step is actually to find healing. To find healing from the hurt that you've experienced in other community. And some of it, it might be hurt from your Jeep club. Some of it, it might be hurt from the soccer mom club. Some of it, it might be hurt that you've experienced from church. You need to find healing. You need to trust again. And I know that's easy to throw out, but it's very difficult to do. Because when trust has been violated, um, I believe that it takes healing on God's part, but I believe that trust can be restored. You need to forgive other people. <laughs> One of the most powerful moments for me yesterday in freedom was the moment where people forgave. Forgave. Forgave those who have harmed them, hurt them. Some had to forgive themselves for being the violator. You need to forgive. That might be some of your next steps. For some of you, your next step might be repentance from sin. Turn away from it. I believe in the scripture, it even tells us what else we all should be doing. What God wants us to do in light of the scripture is that we should be stirring one another to love and good works. That's your job for me, and that's my job for you. If you look to the person to your left or to your right, it's your job for them. And then if you look to the person on the other side of you, it's your job for them to stir one another to love and good works. That literally means to activate, to motivate, to challenge one another, to, to encourage one another, stir one another to love and good works challenge one another it might be confronting in a loving way when you're close enough to someone to see their faults don't run from them and say oh my god i cannot believe that they are like that according to the bible it actually says you should lean in and you should say hey i see this and because i love you because we're brothers, we're sisters, like because we are family, because we're community, my responsibility is to lovingly say it. Lead them to Christ. If you run away from them and you're a representative of Christ in their life, then what are you revealing about Christ to them? Christ didn't run from them. He came to them. Maybe stirring one another is to challenge. Maybe stirring one another to good works is inviting that coworker, that classmate. Inviting them to group. Inviting them to service. Stirring one another can simply be being a living example. Live out your faith publicly, which you declare inside these walls. 
stir one another. Some of you, your next step is literally taking a next step in church. Stirring, stirring one another to faith and to good works means that you actually step in and you begin to be part of creating environments that help people know God, grow in Christ, and go in the power of the Holy Spirit. Some people are taking their next steps today through water baptism. Uh, after, actually, immediately after service, there'll be a couple of people getting baptized in our lobby area. But they have been stirred in their hearts and in their spirit from God to move forward in their relationship with God and to publicly declare him. I'm asking you, what is your next step? I believe all of us have a next step of investing in loving and relationships. Groups are over. How do we, how do we know people? How do we participate in community now that groups are done? Be people. Like, if we are waiting to be community for a church-sanctioned structure, that's not community. Community is here. It means when you think about somebody, text them. It means during the holidays, during this time where groups aren't happening, still be hospitable. Like, say, this is a crazy one. Hey, do you want to go ride in my Jeep? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you want to have dinner? Friendsgiving? Guys, if you're waiting on me to tell you what to do, then you're not being spirit-led. You're being Micah-led. And I can't save you. I can't lead you. That's way above my pay grade. So I'm asking you to prayerfully be led by the Holy Spirit and invest in loving relationships and simply respond to what God's saying to you right now. Would you bow your heads with me for just a minute? God, I pray that you would take messages like this and God, that you would do something with them in our hearts and in our lives. God, I pray that God, that it wouldn't just be convincing words on my part that changes the hearts of people. But God, I'm asking you to illuminate the things and the scriptures that were shared today. And God, that you would make a difference in our lives. God, I pray that we would be people that simply respond to your word. Knowing that the only way that we can actually be part of a faith community is to surrender our lives to faith in Jesus Christ. And the work of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the death and the burial and the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. God, I pray that that would continue to be a reality in our lives. But God, today I pray specifically over those that have been hurt, hurt in community. God, I pray for those that, whether it was one of the small reasons or the big reasons, the deeper reasons, God, that we haven't been able to lean into community. God, I pray right now that we'd surrender those things to you. God, that you would do a work in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.